guy dominate the conversation or anything hey man you think i'm gonna dominate the conversation i wasn't talking about you what would you think because i said old guy oh throw, yeah throw a stone a pack of dogs oh my the soul. one that hits that gets hit so the whole house <laughs> all right here we go like where you quote ralph Waldo emerson yeah well, one thing for sure is that we all believe missionaries are heroes and we respect with um, the utmost respect one's decision to give up everything and go preach the gospel. Um, and that's, you know, that's the point of this this conversation is to maybe among the four of us sharpen each other a little bit on this on this area of missions, but also um, for the benefit of our listeners. Um, I, I want to hear feedback and I, I want to see what other people do as well. And, and maybe this will just get a productive conversation rolling for people to uh, people to engage in. So maybe we could start with um, what what has influenced you? Who has influenced you? Uh, what impacted you to lead you to be a missions minded pastor? Steve, do you think you could start us with that? Yeah. In fact, you're you said a very trigger word in my, the history of missions for me, and that's the word hero. I grew up in a very missions-minded church. My pastor, David Cummins, who's now in heaven, he loved missionaries. We would every year have an eight-day missions conference, and my pastor would famously say every missions conference, every time we had a missionary come in, he'd say they are the heroes of the faith. He'd say any dope can pastor, but we need missionaries. We need people on the mission field. (laughs) And he indicted himself when he said that. But, you know, and the most impactful thing for me, especially growing up, was having a missionary in my home. And my pastor worked really hard at that. We did a Sunday through Sunday conference in my home church. And he would you'd sign up to have a missionary in your home throughout the conference. And my mom never did it, never did it because she was a single, you know, parent and when I was finally in college, I was sitting out a semester. I said, mom, we should have a missionary over. And we did. And it was awesome. And I got to um, talk to him. And I remember him very well to this day, the Roberts to Japan. Now, I didn't follow up on him through all of life, but I think of him and I think of that dinner. And, you know, I love the one-on-one connection to missionaries. Amen. I think for just uh, for me, um, it's interesting because as a, you know, I grew up in a pastor's home. We had missionaries in our home a lot. Of course, I pastored for 25 years. And so I've hosted a lot of missionaries in my home. I have many missionary friends that I went to college with or that I've built relationships with over the years. But I think the thing that really helped me the most in the area of of having developing a heart for missions, I took a couple of mission trips before I got sick with my disease, and that helped me a lot. But when I moved here to Iowa, I inherited a couple of deacons um, that are just wonderful men, and each of them have a child on the mission field, one in Argentina Mm. and one in Europe. And their heart for missions is genuine and deep and wide, and it's palpable. It's almost like you can reach out and touch it. And that that has that has contagiously, in a good way, affected our entire church. I feel a sense of stewardship to steward that that great sense of love for missionaries and missions. We have another a man who used to be an assistant pastor in our church, who's sent out of our church, who's a missionary in Brazil, 
And so we, this, this church has such a great heart for missions. It's actually helped me really, really has. I guess my perspective would be, um, I feel like I have so many I can point to first and foremost, it would be my own pastor. Um, Tom Dotson was originally from Northeast Georgia and, you know, it's, it's pretty awesome to me that his final day here in the United States was October the 4th, 1980. And I've got a, a newspaper clip in from the, the Clayton Tribune. And it announces that the, uh, the Tom Dodson family were having a farewell service at the church he'd planted there in Northeast Georgia. And he was leaving to go to England as a missionary. And I was born on October the 4th, 1980. So to think mm. that God was bringing someone, wow. you know, on the day I was born, it, it just blows my mind. Wow. Um, but, you know, he moved over at a time when missions was, it was a long way from William Carey, but it was a, a lot different from today. You know, William Carey, oh, Tom Dodson, he had, I think, six children at the time. And they got on a plane, arrived at Heathrow in London and went to a hotel and then found a house. I mean, they didn't have anything set up the way that most missionaries would today. And, you know, and then, you know, long story short, uh, you know, I was able to meet him. He told me the gospel. He trained me as a pastor and preacher in so many ways, along with some other men. Um, but that that was my my experience with missionaries was being pastored by one. And uh, Tom Dotson is he, more and more. He's a hero. What was it like as a as a guy? Um, in Britain being pastored by a North Georgian. <laughs> His sermon illustrations were amazing because they were just <laughs> like a world away, you know, not, not just a world away, but a generations away. You know, he'd talk about yeah. his his mom buying, you know, a sack of potatoes and then she would use the sack to make him a pair of pants. You know, his his life was so radically different from anything that I understood. I mean, his hunting dogs and just, you know, his life was so different from mine. And yet, you know, it just shows the power of the gospel to transcend mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was an education in so many ways. And did he lead you to the Lord? He did. Wow. Yep. And then trained you to preach. Yeah, well, there were a couple of other men who who were great helps to me and, and you know, learning to preach and pastor. And But he was my earliest influence. And um, yeah, but, you know, I would say had the biggest influence on me. That's incredible. That's an awesome, that's an awesome uh, reinforcement to what we all believe. And that is that missions works are so vital um, mm -hmm. to think that Martin, you wouldn't even be here today doing what you're doing apart from the grace of God and that missionary. Isn't that awesome? Right. And the missionaries and, and the churches that supported him, you know, they they saw fruit from their their missionary, from their their sacrificial giving. And God has blessed me to be able to help train up other men who've gone gone into ministry. And and that's that pattern that you see in First Timothy, the things which you have learned. Uh, you know, commit thou to faithful men who'll be able to teach other men also, and so the gospel continues to to move forward, and that's that's the goal of missions. Um, you know, it, it it works. That's fantastic. I, I would I'd have to say there are a few different influences in my life that have helped me, and specifically um, two that I'll share on this podcast. And one is my wife. Um, my wife loves missionaries. 
She comes from a very, very missions-minded church. Her home church pastor is Brother John Paisley of the Riverview Baptist Church in Pasco, Washington. And he is just still to this day, um, just absolutely consumed with the idea of supporting missionaries. He loves missionaries. He is 81 years old. And when a missionary comes in, you can just see it on his face. He is as amazed today at 81 years old as he would have been 50 years ago to think, wow, that must be awesome to go to the mission field. You can just tell. I mean, he's excited about it. He's passionate about it. And so my wife, uh, just, just by virtue of being married to her, um, God used that to be able to teach me a lot. The other is my uh, my grandfather, and this is for a different reason I think I'd like to share. I don't think he'd mind sharing it because I've shared this publicly and he's never minded before. If he has, he hasn't told me that he did. When he resigned and the church voted me in as their next pastor, I recall sitting in his truck. Uh, we were just talking after that, and I had been pastor maybe for a week or two, uh, maybe 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 a little bit longer than that. I don't know, but we were there and I still remember right where we were. He looked at me and he said, Stephen, and it was just kind of very pointed, you know, like I want you to listen to me. And I looked at him and he said, I want you to fix the missions program of this church. Oh, fascinating. And I hmm. went, Whoa. I see. And in my mind, it wasn't broken. Okay. And I don't think it was terribly broken. I think it could have been far worse. But to have the permission of my grandfather, who pastored this church for 42 years, to change something and then to be able to say that to our church. I've told our church that story, especially at the beginning. Um, I told our church that story when we had our first missions program or first missions banquet. Uh, Maybe it was a missions conference. I'm sorry. And I told them this is what he told me. And it just helped me so much. It unlocked not only my mentality, but also the mentality of our church to grow in missions. And I, if I recall the numbers correctly, I'd have to go back and look. But um, almost eight years ago, we were we were giving somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty five to thirty thousand dollars a year as a church to missions. And this past year, our church gave just two hundred dollars shy of a hundred thousand dollars to missions. Um, Amen. You can tell that I'm, I'm not a true independent Baptist if I'm giving you the actual numbers instead of just telling you 100,000. But I, would, <laughs> I remember looking at it thinking, oh, man, and I didn't find that out until after the beginning of the year. And I'm like, I would have thrown $300 at it just to make it get over that, you know. But You'd always round up. Yeah, I know, right? Well, that that's yeah. that's what I'm avoiding. Um, but <laughs> but it's it's just like, wow, I can't believe God God has done so much over the course of this time, and it's all to his to – his, um, to his credit and glory. Amen. Um, so how do I, I go, ahead. go ahead, brother? Wakens. Go ahead, Tom. Now I was going to say, if I can share the name of one other missionary that has, has kind of impressed me for a number of reasons is, do we have time for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it won't be as long, but there's a, a missionary called Wesley Crawford. He's originally from uh, Northern Ireland and he went behind the iron curtain, like back in the day when there was an iron curtain and he would smuggle in Bibles and share the gospel and, and build up churches. And he, he only stopped because he became so effective. The authorities started to follow him. And so to avoid leading the authorities to some of those churches that were in secret, um, he, you know, left the mission field, but continued to raise support for the missionaries and the churches that were continuing to serve. And, you know, he, he just continued to do everything he could off the mission field. And that's really impacted me 
you know, I've obviously not for the same reasons, but I've left what, what I would have considered the mission field of my home country, but I want to keep being just as involved and doing everything I can to move missions forward. And Wesley Crawford, he may hardly ever be known on this side of glory, but he he's done so much for, for the glory of God and for the salvation of souls. And it's, you know, that that's impacted me as well. So that sort of led, leads back to um, what I was going to ask after Russ's comment a moment ago. They're both sort of similar. How do we, um, both as as church members and as pastors, as leaders in churches, how do we move our church forward in the direction of loving missionaries, supporting missionaries, partnering with missionaries, uh, building relationships with missionaries, bringing that um, into, into a, a clearer focus and, and a higher priority? How do we lead a church in that or move a church in that direction? Well, I think it kind of goes back to something Stephen began with is the the pastor, I think, you know, it needs the congregation, needs the whole church, but so much of it comes down to the pastor's vision. And for Stephen to be, you know, given permission, I, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it's basically told, look, this is an area we need to grow. You know, that's where the vision started. And it was given to Stephen to then run with it. Um, and I, I think the pastor's drive has a lot to do with it. So, yeah, Stephen, how did, say you, the same thing. how did you run with it? Well, the first thing we did was we um, we introduced Faith Promise Missions, and we had not had that program in our church prior to, um, but we began to do Faith Promise, and uh, it it really it was something that I actually brought my my wife's home church pastor, Pastor Paisley, to Evansville for our first missions conference, um, and I said, "Look, we don't do this. Our church does give the missions, however, we don't do it like Faith Promise," and I said. I'd like for you to come in and teach us that. And so he did. And I guess since then we've seen a steady increase. Um, so that's, that's the answer. That's one answer. And second, I think that um, for a church to grow in missions, you have to have an annual or maybe even a biannual emphasis on it. And that that's what we did. We decided that every year we were going to do something we've tried to be, and I'd like to hear about your guys' systems as well. Um, so I'm just kind of sharing mine. But we decided we were going to do either a missions conference or a mission. We've called it several different things. We've done missions conferences Monday through mm-hmm. through Sundays. We've done missions emphasis where it hasn't been maybe structured like a conference, but we teach faith promise. And then what we've done most recently is missions month. And missions month is every Sunday in one month. We bring in a missionary. Uh, we may even bring in like a keynote missionary or one we support to teach on some stuff. We bring in new missionaries to support. And then after missions month is over, we vote on all those missionaries. And um, it's been awesome to see how that's that's worked. We, we don't do the same thing every year uh, because I like variety um, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of been the way that it's worked for us. So but I think going back to that, you know, the, the pastor has to have a heart for it. Uh, you have to you have to study your your missions program, and usually that takes some outside help. Um, bring in someone who knows what they're talking about. Let them teach you, and then grow from there. Brother Brodnack, what's the approach you've taken over the years? Well, we have done a few different things, and what I was just talking about that impacted my life is what we've done the last few years. As far as we've done Mission Emphasis Months, we did an eight-day meeting like I grew up having, but our church isn't super large, and we're very busy in all that we do. 
and we have a lot going on. And what works for us is we do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday missions conference, and it's designed to connect our people with the missionaries because I want them to know it. And I think that's, you know, relationships are so vitally important in every aspect of life. It's it's what connects people with the church, and I think it's what connects a missionary um, is having the church familiar with what's going on in their life and their ministry. And we're going to actually add some things that a few preacher friends of mine do. Um, Brother Rick Carter, who pastors Oklahoma City, um, I was preaching for him and he does a video conference. You know, in today's day and age, they they do the last 15 minutes of Sunday school. They bring in um, classes and then they'll they'll talk to a missionary for 15 yeah. minutes. And I think that's a great it idea. Was, it was awesome. And we're going to start doing that. But our missions conference, just those three days, we bring in three missionaries. We do a picnic with them. People have them over to their home, um, you know, and then they preach. I had a, I had a missionary thank me that I let him preach. He said, I, I've been in, I forgot, umpteen missions conferences. And he's like, I've never got to preach in a missions conference because there's like a keynoter or something. So I like our church to hear their burden for their field, hear them preach and get to know them. That's that's an interesting thing that most missionaries don't get to preach, or uh, I, th- I think that's how you phrased it, right? Missionaries sometimes don't get to preach when they go to these conferences. There's a keynote guy, and that is kind of a traditional thing. So one of the things we do with our missions emphasis month is um, what what a lot of times I like to do is I like to do a lot of teaching on missions in our church, and I like to contain it all into the time where I'm trying to emphasize it. Doesn't mean I won't preach on it outside of the month of September, October, but then but it, it, we'll it increases have, that sense of emphasis when you're, when you're layering those things. Yeah. Yes. I'll do a whole month on it. Um, and then in the Sunday evening service, a lot of times I'll have that missionary preach because I want the church to get to know him. And we do some things. Um, we do an interview style uh, kind of mm-hmm. deal right in the middle of the service where I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, I move the pulpit out of the way, set up a couple of chairs on the platform. Um, I do leave my skinny jeans in the drawer. So that's, don't worry about that guys. But we sit down and we just ask them questions and talk to them, you know, and, and ask them fun questions, ask them questions about the field they're going to ask them to do, uh, to tell us about their, their testimony, how they were called into missions and things of that nature. And, and it gives them more of a platform in the hearts of our people, I feel. We do I that in our great. we do that in our missions conference that that's that interview and I agree that that really does help. But let me throw just a different idea and again not telling anybody what to do, but something that's worked for us is in addition to a missions conference or emphasis, um, I like when I bring a missionary in to bring him in for a whole Sunday. I realize that doesn't work for for very many missionaries. And again I'm not trying to establish, you know, what has to be done. But when you do that, you bring them in for a whole weekend, then they, and I let them speak all, I let them speak, let them, I mean, they speak Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Um, They interact with our church the entire time. Uh, We just happened to be, as we're recording this just last week, we had a missionary in his last meeting before he heads to the field and we were meeting number 188. And of course we'll end up supporting them here when we take our next vote. But they were, they were part of our church for an entire weekend and interacted with people before and after services and all the classes and things of that nature. And and the idea is that you you build relationships. And in this day of social media, you can take the people in your church that are on social media and the missionaries that are on social media and you connect those two. 
And it's like a short circuit way or a faster way of, you know, you show a video clip in your church service of, you know, uh, something that a missionary produces. But if, if you connect them to that missionary social media page and they see those things for themselves just in the course of their daily life, it builds their relationship with that missionary, which strengthens your church. How do you guys do that? Do you guys do you guys do missions conferences? Do you do faith promise missions? You know, I kind of told you about my system. I want to hear what you all do, and and specifically, I guess I I don't mind talking about things that I need to do better. I'm looking for what you guys do that you have found that that has really worked. Our missions conference we hold over a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and when I came here to the church, the one of the great blessings to me was that the the pulpit committee said, look, missions is an area where we know we need more attention. And so I kind of had the green light from day one to make mm. it an emphasis and to try and, and grow it. And the people had genuinely love missions and missionaries. And so it has been, you know, a, a relatively easy thing to, to see move forward. Um, and I think the way I do our missions conference, it sounds very similar to what Tom was saying in that we'll have one or two or three missionaries come in over a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and the Friday night is just kind of an introductory service, and I'll have one of them preach. Um, Saturday is different in that we have an international banquet, and everybody is encouraged to bring a meal from a nation that they have a burden for. And we've had some incredible foods. I mean, we, we've had some great times. But then for several hours, everyone has just sat around, they're talking, and they get to know the missionary on a, a very personal level. And then the whole day Sunday, um, again, I ask the missionaries to preach, we get them involved at the Sunday schools. And my my goal is to you know try and get the church to meet the, the missionaries on a very personal level and, and to make a genuine connection. Hey, if I could comment on something really briefly, Martin, you said that you had, um, was it a trustee or maybe a church officer or somebody come say, hey, we, we do need to improve in missions. Or whoever said that, church member. It was, it was the pulpit committee. Oh, okay. All right. So immediately you've got the green light. Okay. Same with me, my mm-hmm. grandfather, who is the former pastor. And by the way, he still attends our church. So he wasn't going anywhere. It was it was one of those situations. And, and the Lord's been gracious to allow that to be um, uh, effective here in, in Evansville. But my point is, is this, is that as soon as a church member, for those who are listening, goes to their pastor and says, yeah, you know, we really support you in your, um, in, in your, your desire to improve this area of our church, then it's not just one person. It, it, it's two people or many, many more people and that gives the pastor such liberty to be able to go forward. I really, I haven't found mm-hmm. in our church, I've never found a resistance to missions ever, ever, ever. And it just kind of makes me think that, you know what, people have a heart for this. People in, in churches have a heart for this. And so for maybe a church member who would be listening right now to this podcast, the support that you give, even just going up or dropping a note Amen. and saying, hey, listen, you know, I just want to let you know we support you in this to your pastor man, that's huge. It mattered to me and it mattered to Martin. I know it would matter to other pastors as well. Mm-hmm. So sort of stepping off that or bootstrapping off that, how do we as, you know, pastors and and church members, you know, we've talked briefly about how we try to develop our heart for missions and our priority on missions. How do we then take that and help the missionary with that? How do we encourage the missionary? How do we strengthen the missionary on the foreign field? How do we minister to the missionary on the foreign field? 
besides just sending them a check every month? Well, you know, I think it is, again, it's having that personal connection with them and genuinely caring about them. Um, I think it's going beyond what you read in the the prayer letters and reading between the lines. I think it's making sure that they do have someone who is a pastor to them. Um, and if they don't necessarily have a pastor, you know, almost taking on that shepherding role yourself um, and, and looking out for their their spiritual growth and their needs, but making sure it's done in a way that is saying, look, we support you. You know, we're, I, I'm not here looking for ways to to drop you. I'm not here checking up. I'm, you know, making sure I'm, I'm getting my pound of flesh. Like, you know, I love you and I want you and your family to be looked after um, and I'm here for you. And I think that's something which is good to establish with the missionaries so they don't always feel like they're constantly on um, on probation, you know, letting right. them know, look, we've chosen to support you. We're, we're 100% behind you. And um, there's uh, the principle of being a rope holder. You know, William Carey uh, established it. And, and just that idea that, you know, we send the missionaries over there but we're holding the ropes and we're just as we should be just as invested as them physically we're in different places but ultimately we we're partnering with them and that's how i think in philippians 4 the apostle paul terms it that word for fellowship communication distribution it's it's partnership and if mm-hmm. they have a need then that's our need steve what do you do on an annual basis uh, in your church to help emphasize missions we do, I had already mentioned our, uh, our missions conference and we end that with a faith promise commitment. Um, we also have missionaries in missions is, I kind of feel a little bit like what your grandfather said. I, I have not, you know, for having a pastor that, uh, really emphasized it big time and our church gave hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to missions, my home church, um, it's something I, I need to put more emphasis on. And, you know, something Martin was saying that got me thinking, and that is about holding the rope for missionaries. I think it's important we give some rope, too, because they uh, they have a, a pretty tough go of it at times. Yeah. And, you know, our, our first episode of this season on individual soul liberty and, you know, I, I think any pastor listening, I would hope you would have a whole different bar on what would cause you to drop a missionary as opposed to what would cause you to not pick one up in the sense that not picking someone up is it, you know, just dropping a missionary um, is just, I think it's just, you know, it's just not good form. And especially if they're still on the field. Um, I was just talking to a gentleman, our church, he's a missionary kid and, you know, missionaries can sometimes walk on eggshells when I think as pastors, we need to cut them some slack. And honestly, if there's church, a lot of church members listening, you know, don't be giving it in your pastor's ear because you saw something, one of your missionaries posted on social media, give them a little grace and, you know, just be understanding. Social media changes everything. Oh, my soul. Yeah. It really does. From from 15 years ago, it's different now because of social media. 
But I think in this sense, it's better. I mean, you, you referenced, Brother Brudnack, you know, a, p- a potential negative side of it. But, you know, mine eye affecteth mine heart. And I think mm-hmm. when you can when you can show or see or put your people into essentially seeing those people's churches and seeing their converts get baptized and seeing their Sunday school classes and seeing their their ministries, I think it's a powerful, powerful thing. I, I want to be careful how I proceed here because we just for the sake of our listeners, we didn't talk about any of what we're talking about now beforehand. The only thing we talked about was that we all felt maybe inadequate to answer some of these questions or to talk about this topic because we're not missionaries, we're pastoring, et cetera. But if I can maybe put us into a little bit of a, um, um, a little bit of a spot, for a moment, Steve, you brought up the idea of of cutting, giving our giving our missionaries grace and things of that nature. And you alluded to soul liberty. Um, that's I, I you know I, I agree with with you. I know you. I know exactly what you mean when you say that. And I think that there's maybe been times for all of us, and I think all of our church policies are different, by the way, as it pertains yep. to this, right. where we have had to part ways with a missionary as a pastor. And I just wonder if maybe there's room in this conversation for a discussion on that. If we, I, I think we all have a heart to keep it very grace filled, uh, but it is a tough question. And so you guys, you know, take it as far as you want. I'm not going to push it. Um, I've passed you 25 years. I have dropped missionaries um, for two reasons. Um, one and only one time that I drop a missionary because he moved left, so far left that he essentially had ceased to be being independent Baptist. He was open about that, and we talked about it in several conversations. I had a good relationship with him, so it wasn't, you know, animosity or anything. But I just could not continue to support him. Um, and again, we waited till he came back off for that term, that kind of a thing. But the other reason that I've dropped missionaries is communication, and it, this gets into policy things. But you know, if you don't communicate with our church at least every three months. We're not going to continue to support you because how am I going to lead my church to partner with you as a missionary? How am I going to lead my church to have a heart for you and for your for your ministry if you're not communicating with us? In addition to the fact in 2022, it's absurdly easy to communicate. So, and and, and I will even give warnings in those situations. But those are the reasons I've dropped missionaries. But I I, I try as to to be as as patient and as gracious as I possibly can in that process. And you also said, Tom, that you waited for them to come off the field before you did that, or you waited for them to come back on a furlough. Is that is that how you put that? In that situation, yeah, um, I, I've I've had to to also see supporting missionaries who essentially have have you know come off the field themselves. You know, they've quit for lack of a better word. I mean, they just quit. And in those cases, I like to give them an extra six months worth of support after they come back to the states mm-hmm. to help them get Good. adjusted. That sort of a thing. Again, if you're going to air here. You have to draw lines. You're you're responsible as a as, as a as a steward of God's church and God's money for how that money is invested in His kingdom. You don't want to micromanage it. You know you don't want to be breathing down missionaries' necks. You want to partner with them, love them, encourage them. But at some point, sometimes you do have to have to pull that back for your sense of conscience. But you want to err on the side of doing that as graciously and kindly and thoughtfully to that brother in Christ as you possibly can. That's exactly my feelings. I mean, we have had different situations. We've had missionaries who have let us know, hey, we're coming off the field. Here are the reasons why. Um, And in that case, we did something similar, Tom. We sent them 
a bonus love gift at the end of their term mm-hmm. on the mission field when they got back. Many of many of them, or I, I shouldn't say there have been many of them, but some of them were because they were going through trials and difficulties, um, not discouragement, but actual, they had to come back for health or whatever. But then I think we've only had one who has changed doctrinal positions. Um, and that was resolved rather easily, I think. Um, we were able to, to just kind of move on uh, but we didn't. We were very long suffering. It wasn't. It wasn't a fundamental doctrine. One of the fundamentals of the faith for salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was something that we said. Well, you know, we can't. We can't support that. But because it's a doctrinal issue, um, and so we've tried to be very grace filled when we do that. I well, think the that grace needs to flow. Go ahead. Sorry, Tom. Uh, I was going to say that grace needs to flow both ways because although it's not a a strict contractual agreement. Mm-hmm. But if a missionary changes positions, having basically agreed, I'm going to represent you, I want to, you know, replicate churches of life, faith, and faith and practice. If the missionary changes, then they have a a due diligence to inform their supporting churches. And I, I think that's where that grace flows both ways. And and it's to a degree, it's a matter of integrity. You know, the, the supporting churches need to show integrity to care for the needs of their missionary, um, and when there's a change, to manage it in a gracious way. Um, but then if a missionary changes, well, then they kind of have a, a due diligence to their supporting churches to be upfront about it and, you know, to to reassess how they're supported. Steve, I'm kind of curious as to your position on this, especially as it relates to some of uh, the issues like missionary questionnaires and things like that. Do you send those out? Um, how do you handle that? I, I don't think you do, but I, I, I think you know what I'm talking about. I have no clue what you're talking about. What, <laughs> what, what do you get that? Cause you're grinning like a, I'm, I'm really not getting at anything specific. Uh-oh. Oh, I've, I've heard some no. horror stories about missionary yeah. questionnaires. We don't, we don't do the whole questionnaire thing. I will talk to a missionary before I support them, ask them, you know, important questions face to face. Um, but no, I don't, the, the whole, you know, and, and like scheduling missionaries too. I'll, I'll talk with them on the phone or at a meeting if I meet him or something like that, but I'm not, my wife and I actually went through that when I was, before I pastored United Baptist praying, kind of seeking God's will. And we had talked to an older pastor about possibly coming, being his assistant. And then, um, you know, replacing him. And he gave me like 150 question questionnaire and my wife got a 98 question questionnaire. And that pretty much cured me from ever wanting to give one to anyone else. (laughs) So yeah, it was, it was interesting. Well, I think if I read a missionary's statement of faith and they read my churches and I see nothing wrong with them and they see nothing wrong with mine, um, for the most part that settles it. And I'm not, I wouldn't be against questionnaires in, in some respects, right. but uh, again, I've heard horror stories. And if you have a church as a church have a questionnaire you give to your missionary, um, I would, I would encourage you. Do you really need to know some of the things you're asking? And I, you know, Tom may know what I'm alluding to without <laughs> even going there, but you know, do you really need to know an answer to that question? And Stephen, <laughs> maybe you know what I'm thinking. Who's going to say it? Tom, Tom, I have to ask this because you haven't said anything. Do you send out a questionnaire? <laughs> okay. So you asked. <laughs> oh, okay, no. Let me, let, me re, let me reemphasize. 
I'm not against questionnaires, but there are some questions <laughs> that I'm just like, you don't need to know. I I promised to I make a promise to our listeners, we did no prep. I do I do for not know, but something yeah. yes for this aspect of it, and I'm looking at Tom's face on the screen, going, "Oh man, we got to go to him." <laughs> I just hope he doesn't pull a whistle out of his desk. <laughs> would be crossing the line. He's not a twelve year old. Um, <laughs> I find the whole concept of missionary questionnaires to be reprehensible. Oh, oh wow! Oh, for okay. this reason. Oh boy! If you're sending out questionnaires, it means you don't know that missionary. If I'm going to bring a missionary in, it's because I've already built a relationship with him. Hmm. I already trust him. I've I've talked to him at that point for years before I brought him in. Now this ruins the whole cold call approach of missionaries. But I don't. Speaking for myself, I don't care about that. I want to bring in a missionary that I trust. I view missions as investing in the work of God, and just like sure. any other investment, I want to vet that investment which is where the idea of a questionnaire comes from. But I'm going to vet that investment. I'm going to I'm going to invest in a man who's investable for the cause of Christ. So I'm going to determine that before I ever bring him into my church. I'm going to I'm going to read his his updates for a couple of years. I'm going to touch base with him and build a relationship with him online. We're going to talk back and forth long before he ever comes to my church. So by the time he gets there, I, I initiate that relationship most of the time. I find a missionary I like, and I'm like, I don't care if he's on, been on the field for 20 years or not. I find a guy I want to invest in for the cause of Christ. I build a relationship with him. I make sure he is who I think he is. And then at that point, you don't need to ask him about this or that or the other because you know. Well, how would you then – I mean, I agree. If we have a missionary in to our church, then it's virtually guaranteed we're going to support you because I won't bring a missionary in – if I'm not happy for the church to support him. Um, and ultimately the church votes and it comes down to a church vote. But I also love the idea of, you know, having a, a number of, you know, recent Bible school graduates and they haven't had a chance to prove themselves. Um, you know, I want them to come in and I want our teenagers to grow up with them as missionaries Um so if they haven't had a chance to prove themselves with a couple of years worth of prayer letters, what do you do? I'm just kind of curious. I don't. And see this. Because, the, yes. because here's this the thing. This is why I feel so bad at this, by the way. Well, I, and yeah, and I'm sure I'll probably get feed, uh, feedback, blowback for this. But I, I know what it's like to invest a church behind a missionary and they get to the field and then they just turn tail and run. And, and I would prefer to have, have seen somebody, just like you don't put a novice into the pastorate, Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, I don't want to support a novice missionary. Now, this is like the, the catch-22, how do you get experience without a job? You know, you can't have the job without experience. I'm well, I'd not love to see most missionaries serve with their local church for an extended time before going to the field. Okay, is yeah, this, the, is the this one similar I just, to your, I, I don't read dead guy policy, and then I find out you read books of guys alive all the time? Oh, boy. I love nearly you, Steve. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just, dead. What, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, Tom, and I'm not picking on you, is it, is it I mean, you are saying what you're saying, but because does I'm it looking work for, out I'm, totally like that? No. But mostly, right. yeah. yeah. That, I mean, that's so right. philosophically, so as a general, yeah. as a general, as a general rule, rule. Saying, as a philosophical approach, I'm yeah. investing in somebody for the cause of Christ. So I don't care if they're in Brazil, I don't care if they're in Zambia, I don't care if they're in Ukraine. It's not the field; 
it is, is that man investable for the call? Is he going to give Christ a return on that money? And I don't mean numbers. I don't care about that. Is he investable for the cause of Christ? Is he solid? Has he got a good marriage? Has he got a good family? Brother Brednack, I've talked to you extensively about the about how you decide who's going to speak at your marriage retreats. And you vet those in your mind, in your heart, in your head. You don't send them a questionnaire. You you do your homework on them first. And you'll do that about somebody that you're you're just bringing in to speak for a for a for a weekend or something. This is about leading my church to partner with somebody and to get behind them, and they're going to be an extension of us on the on the mission field. Yeah, yeah. No, I do like that approach. I, I think um, there has to be great care taken in supporting missionaries, even if that means you err on the side of fewer than than more, but just making sure you get the right people. Yeah, but here's the thing, though. Okay, so let let me let me bring. This, I started to say I feel so bad at this. This is where I feel like I need to improve as a pastor bringing in missionaries frankly our missions list of people that we're going to that we that we want to support the list is already pretty long uh, i feel very bad for cold call missionaries who reach out to me um, especially through email or whatever i'm just like man I, you know our our list we're at least 2 to 3 years out but i'm not guaranteeing a spot on the list and it's because of what you said tom and this is where i agree with you is that you have to be able to know and the best way to know is not through a questionnaire the best right. way to know is is mm-hmm. heart to heart, right. is being able to sit down. And I've invited missionaries who we, we've not supported. Say, hey, a lot of times my answer, not all the time, but my a lot of times my answer is, hey, listen, if you ever are in the area, please stop by. And if we have time in, in the schedule, I'd like to get coffee with you or whatever, um, because I want to know them, and I want to I want to feel they're investable. But I don't think they necessarily have to have experience to feel like they're investable. Does that make sense? I- I respect that. And again, that's not a hard and fast rule with me. It's it's a it's a philosophy that pretty much practically works out that way. Um, and I think the, good, the great thing about really knowing them as best as you can before you bring them in is it lets them be who they are. They don't have to feel like they're on shows. Yes. They don't have to feel that, like yeah. they're trying to earn your favor. Um, you've already got a relationship. And and I I want my missionaries when they come in here. I say my missionaries. I don't like that ownership language, but um, the missionaries we have come in, I want them to be at ease. I want them to have fun. I want them to yeah. express their burden. I don't want them to have to walk away thinking, oh man, I mentioned such and such. Is that going to make, you know, am I going to lose support? You know, I, you know, I support the Patriots. Is that going to be a problem with my support? Like, you know, I want them to, to be at ease and, and to relax. And that sense of relationship that I have continues. It's not, it's, you know, I read every single missionary letter that comes to our church, every single email. I look at, you know, if, if they're on Facebook, I like it, all their posts. If mm. they send our church an email, I respond to every single one with something that says, I know I read it. Um, I want them to to understand that I care about them and that I'm, 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 I'm paying attention to them and that by default in our church is. Um, it's not just, you know, you got this bar you got to get through, but but it's a continual thing. It's I want to partner mm-hmm. with you. Yeah, yeah so I, I it's not just that idea. initial relationship. It's ongoing. It's not like you just take them on and then you forget about them. You know, that's a, a it's a continuing relationship. So that this this another area that I I need to improve in. Not that I forget about all my missionaries. However, there are 
it's it's difficult for me. We after we put them on support and all that, um, a lot of times my attention goes toward vetting the next missionaries or getting busy in my own church. And that's not an excuse. What it is, is it's me saying that sometimes I neglect to remain connected with my missionaries. So what uh, you, Tom, you mentioned you read every prayer letter. I've been working to do that more diligently than ever before, because I want to know what are some practical things you guys do to maintain contact with your missionaries, especially as the number of missionaries grow. I would encourage you to have for every church member possible to adopt a missionary and they then become the advocate for that missionary in your church. So if they have a need, they're going to come to the church leadership and fight for that need to be met. Um, They're going to make sure that they raise their prayer requests publicly. And so every missionary you support has a Hmm. personal contact who is their ambassador kind of in reverse um, in your local church. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. Thank you. I've seen it. <laughs> it's not original with me. It's not original with me. There's nothing that's good about missions that I invented on my own, but I've seen good things done by other people. And I think that, that idea. Yeah. yeah. That, that really connects your people to missionaries and however you develop that mm-hmm. that is just golden for your church and i and i hope yes. for that missionary i agree any anything else along those lines and this is where having a missionary on at a later time is going to be really helpful to us but anything else that you all do other than just hard and fast you know old fashioned good old fashioned discipline <laughs> do you respond do you email them once a month do you respond every time you get a prayer letter like what's your process well, I, um, some churches have mission pastors and that's different. We're not that big. Right. Um, I, so I, I, every email that comes to our church either comes to me or my secretary and I get all the missions ones. And I, I, uh, I do read every single one and then I don't read them all the same day they come in, but one day a week I'll sit down and I go through all my mission stuff and it works out to be a couple hours, give or take probably a week of reading and responding and, and, um, and I've found that over time, even with ones I didn't know before I came here to Iowa, they're looking for a response in the sense of, of it's so rare for them to get a response. And this sounds, mm-hmm. don't take this the wrong way. It sounds like I'm praising myself. I'm not uh, because there's, there's so many areas I'm weak in relation to missions and uncertain, but they just, anybody responds to somebody that, that they feel genuinely cares about them and about their ministry. And I think if you can convey, you care about their ministry and where it's at and what it's doing, I think it I think it genuinely encourages them and helps them. It does. And I've slipped up on this, but there was um there was a time when every prayer letter I got, even if it's just a single line that said, Hey, and I, I would specifically mention something in their prayer letter and say, I'm praying about this with you. And I never realized how much of an impact that made until there was a, a missionary couple that I really didn't know that well in Brazil. They were friends of my my wife's. And after the husband died, the wife wrote back and said, you know what? You're one of the only people who consistently responds to our prayer letters. And and I'll, I'll hold my hand up. I haven't been good at that recently, but it makes a difference, um, you know, and it really, really does make a difference. MailChimp tells you who reads them, doesn't it? I mean, it tells you who opens them. And that can be and discouraging. I can tell I you as a missionary. <laughs> and I've like, talked to them, right? They've told me that. 
Well, it would. Oh, wow. I would. I would send out a prayer letter, and it would say like forty-seven percent opened your prayer letter. Right. And and then so granted, the same crowd were getting a paper copy as well. But um, you know, I was in one supporting church, and I was talking to a dear Christian lady. I love her to death. She is just an amazing lady. Um, but at one point, I'm talking to her, and she was like oh, well, you moved and we didn't have your new address and, you know, I wanted to write to you and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I'm sorry. You know, I'm really sorry, Lily. You know, I, I, I should have stayed in touch better and I apologize. And and then behind, over her shoulder, I saw my most recent prayer letter and I was like, wait, for months I've been putting it on our prayer letters. Don't you read my prayer letter? <laughs> and then she was apologizing to me. Um, but, you know, that, that does happen and, you know, Simply you straight up called her out, man. She wow. was an amazing lady. I, you know, <laughs> she's never going to listen to this podcast. But um, I had I had something <laughs> happen to me similar to that. She where didn't I read had, my bread letters either, so that's right. <laughs> I I had seen a Facebook post of a church planner that we support that he had been in a new building and got a new building, and I was like, I called him and I'm like, that is awesome. I said, I am sorry, I have not kept up or read your letter about that, and he goes. I really haven't sent one yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> mm. it's, it's like I felt like I had failed, and he's like, "Yeah, I didn't send a letter. I didn't send a letter yet either." So it's so, so easy. Well, this- it's so easy for missionaries and pastors to feel like they have to walk on eggshells around one another. Oh my! I soul. hurt for them yeah. about that. I hurt for them well, about that. Yeah. Here's one thing that can really make a big difference, and I think it does tie into this. I don't think I'm jumping conversations too much, but value their work and their effort, not just their results. Amen. Because, Amen. you know, there are times when a missionary is going to be pouring his blood, sweat, and tears into a ministry and, humanly speaking, is not seeing the same results as another missionary. And to be doing all of that and then getting no, I don't say recognition in a proud sense, but then to be made to feel like you are less than because you're not getting the same results as someone else, that's disheartening. And... um you know, to so value their work and their effort, not just the results. I think that there is so much more we could discuss on this. And for the most part, our, our heart today was to, re- to, to be positive, to be encouraging. I hope that's been accomplished. Amen. And I want to say, too, because of the nature of how we designed this episode, which is we didn't design it. Um, I appreciate your men's input. And I appreciate the way that, that you all have expressed the way that you've done missions. And, and I think it's great to hear all this. So as we proceed forward into the letter, um, we want to thank our listeners for listening and we hope that you will respond. And, uh, how about, uh, how about Tom? Why don't you do the letter for this one? Dear church, Jesus was a missionary. He directly and emphatically commissioned the church to preach the gospel to the entire world. Although we believe the glory of God is the ultimate aim of every Christian and church, it could well be said that missions is the very purpose of the church. How are we doing at it? How could we improve? While we may not feel like we know all the right answers to those questions, we do believe there is great value in asking them. It is good and right to lay before God's people the cause of world evangelism and the precious men and women who are at the forefront of it. Whatever else we do, we will do right if we love them, pray for them, and genuinely interest ourselves in their lives and ministries. Missions can either be a program or a cause. 
a bill we pay as a church, or the heartbeat of our existence. Wherever we are on that paradigm, our prayer here at the Dear Church Podcast is that all of us might move toward God's heart in this, and in the process encourage God's servants and His work all around the world. We respectfully remain your servants, Steve Rudneck, Tom Brennan, Martin Wickens, and Stephen Russell.